When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Time podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock as we are getting closer and closer to the NFL Combine next week in Indianapolis, kind of the unofficial start of the league's offseason. Let's just start there. We're going to go through some stories and some posts here on uh, on Cleveland.com, just kind of talk about some of the news, some of the things we're seeing, uh, some things we've put up on the website. Mary Kay, I mentioned that the combine is next week. It's sort of the unofficial start of the off season. But when I look on the website on cleveland.com slash Browns, where you can also become a football insider subscriber, by the way, uh, there is a post from Mary Kay about the key dates. And one of the key dates actually was yesterday. And that is when teams can start designating, designating franchise or transition players. Uh, We're coming up on the combine. Things are going to start moving quickly and everybody's kind of watching a Browns adjacent player, and that's Lamar Jackson, and what the Ravens might do there. That's kind of the first big domino here, right? Yes. Uh, you know, that is definitely something that they could do just to kind of hold the place and settle things down a little bit and get him franchised. And then, you know, at that point, they could either trade him or, you know, they could try to work through a long term deal with him. Uh, you know, he, he wants Deshaun Watson money. Uh, but I do think that, you know, there's a, you know, there's a little bit of tension between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens from everything that I understand. So all is not rosy over there. And there is a world in which the Cleveland Browns can be facing a new Ravens quarterback. And of course, that would be huge news. I mean, if it's, if they're going to break in someone new and young, you know, that changes the the whole climate in the AFC North, or do they go out and they get themselves, uh, you know, someone like a, a Derek Carr or someone like that, or, you know, maybe even an Aaron Rodgers, you know, who knows what they would have up their sleeve. Obviously they're going to want to contend. They've got a lot of really good football players on their team and they're not going to just want to have, you know, some kind of a rebuilding year or whatever. So, you know, they will have to find themselves a quarterback. So all eyes are on the Ravens to see what they're going to do. Uh, you know, they obviously have Todd Munkin as their new offensive coordinator that's interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. And, um, you know, I saw he got asked a question today about Odell Beckham Jr. So who knows what's going to be happening over there in Baltimore. But certainly uh, this is one of the very biggest names to watch as the franchise and transition period, the two-week period, opened yesterday. So, Ashley, when it comes to Lamar, it's it feels like more and more this Deshaun Watson contract is an outlier, a lot like the Mahomes contract, because we've seen, you know, Kyler Murray got a higher total, but not anywhere close to the guarantee. Russell Wilson didn't beat it. If I'm Lamar Jackson, I might just say, you know what, go ahead and franchise me and let's see what Joe Burrow gets. You know, let's see what Justin Herbert gets. I think those guys might actually be the ones 
who kind of reset the market and are sort of the indicators of is the Watson contract an outlier or is it a new trend? But I know Browns fans are, are hoping that uh, that when they went out and signed Deshaun Watson, traded for and signed Deshaun Watson, that it just completely blew up everything with the Ravens. And, like, I think it might have, right? Like, I don't know if they're going to be thinking about this in, like, that much of forward terms. I think what's out there right now is the $230 million fully guaranteed. And, again, if you're Lamar Jackson, I think maybe you're not looking at those guys, but you're looking at Deshaun, who I think is – more comparable to you in terms of like time in the league. And you're essentially saying, look at how much money this guy got when he's never been MVP. I have been. And I think you're looking at it too, in terms of the off the field stuff. Like he got all this money, despite all this controversy surrounding him. And if the team in our division is willing to pay that, why aren't you willing to pay me that? And seems like he's getting in his feelings on his Instagram stories from screenshots I've seen about, you can't start a new chapter if you're still reading the last one. So I think there's definitely some drama brewing in Baltimore with this. And I do think like you can't ignore the Deshaun Watson contract and all this. And I don't think he's going to. I think that's going to be very much a part of his rationale and believing what how much he is worth. Lamar loves him some social media. That whole drafts class. Oh, yeah. They just, they love, they loved the social media. You know um, it's a problem when <laughs> quotes start appearing on IG stories. You know there's <laughs> trouble is, brewing. Yes, that is true. Uh, okay, so Mary Kay, another key date in here that I think is really interesting is, of course, the big one that everybody's looking at, March 13th to March 15th. The legal tampering period starts on March 13th. The new league year begins on March 15th at 4 p.m., but what's interesting here in regards to the Browns is we saw last year, you know, hey, the Browns need to sign a receiver. Who? How much is it going to cost? Who are they going to get? And then a couple days before that tampering period started, news broke that the Browns were in agreement to acquire Amari Cooper. Do you think the approach will be similar this year? Do you think that Andrew Barry is going to be aggressive and try to get something done or at least get the pieces in place to get something done before that new league year starts and we might see like, oh, the Browns acquired this defensive tackle or acquired this wide receiver or something like that instead of sort of waiting to bring guys in and and go through that free agency process. Yes, I think so. You know, uh, the foundations are all being laid right now and those things actually get rolling very, very quickly on, on March 13th, even though that is the beginning of the legal tampering period. uh, You actually have to start, tampering before that. So you can do something on March 13th. So uh, yeah, teams are discussing, teams are having their uh, backdoor little conversations, their back channel talks with, you know, with agents and whatnot. And, And in some cases, you know, each other and trying to figure out who's going where and how they're getting there and what they're going to do. And sometimes you see trades happen early and then they're not consummated until later. So that's another thing to watch out for. Uh, you're starting to see business heat up now. I mean, we I've been saying this, we're hurtling towards the acquisition season. And I do think that the Browns will be aggressive because history has shown us that Andrew Berry is aggressive during these times. He will go out and get one or two of the best free agents. He will make trades. They went out last year. They got Deshaun Watson. I mean, they're not messing around here, right? They're not. I mean, they need to get to the Super Bowl. That's what this is all about. And, and they will, you know, aggressively grab whatever they can, whenever they can, like they did with Amari last year. And Ashley, when you look back at that Amari acquisition, it was, 
you know, it was such a big win for Andrew Barry on a number of levels, but most importantly, it was a big win because the wide receiver market just blew up within a matter of days. Christian Kirk got a huge deal. And then we saw Tyreek Hill get traded and he got a huge deal. Um, I mean, guys were just getting paid like crazy at at the wide receiver position. So um, Andrew was very wise to kind of get out ahead of that and get a guy with a little bit of team control already and do it for, I mean, I guess I don't want to call a fifth round pick nothing, but I mean, for what you got, it was essentially nothing. Yeah, I think Andrew Barry is really good at that, it seems like to me, of of predicting where things are going to go. Like you saw it with Amari Cooper. To some extent, you even saw it with them deciding to extend Denzel Ward when they did. Like Jair Alexander got extended right after Denzel, I believe, and he, you know, beat Denzel's contract. Like I think Andrew Barry is very good at predicting those sort of things and making these kind of deals where they're, you know, at a value to the Browns. And at the time, you know, I remember last year, Mary Kay suggested like, oh, maybe they'll go out and trade for Amari Cooper. And that wasn't really, I think, in the thought process of a lot of other analysts or fans, because everyone's just assuming like, oh, well, you're going to take care of it in the draft. And then look what happened like a week later. Obviously, that first round pick is gone and you make the trade for Deshaun Watson. So I think he's very good at like, seeing not just one step ahead, but like two, three, four, five steps ahead sometimes with these deals like monetarily and, you know, how the dominoes are going to fall with the rest of their roster shaping in an offseason. Okay, so then this other key date on here that I want to touch on actually kind of transitions seamlessly into another headline that we have here, and that's May 1st, which is the deadline for teams to exercise fifth-year options for players selected in the first round. Uh, The Browns you know, after next year, when they have to make this decision, presumably on Greg Newsom, assuming he's still a member of the team, uh, they won't have to worry about this for a little while after next season. But this this time around, they have a decision to make, I guess, Mary Kay on Jedrick Wills, but it does feel like it's a foregone conclusion. Do you see a world, though, where like they're even like waffling on it or they just or do you think they've maybe already decided, yeah, we're picking this guy's option up? You know, I think it's a foregone conclusion that they are going to pick his option up. You know, you go out and you draft someone number 10 overall, you're pretty committed to that player. And, you know, we've heard them already talk about how uh, they were pleased with the progress that he made last year. They expect him to continue to get better under Bill Callahan. And, um, you know, he has the lower round tender, or I mean, the lower amount tender, uh, because he hasn't made any Pro Bowls. These tenders, these fifth year options go up uh, based on your, you know, your playtime, then your Pro Bowls. And if you have multiple Pro Bowls, you're at the uh, the top tier. Uh, but he is uh, at the, you know, that the second of the four tiers. And that is about $14.75 million. And it's not for next year, it's for 2024. So by the time you get to 2024, that is not going to look like an enormous amount of money for a really good left tackle. So I think they're going to pick it up and then, you know, then it gives them an opportunity to, uh, you know, to let him play out that season and see how it goes, or they can start negotiating a long-term contract. So I actually, I don't really think it's uh, anything to to really get too concerned about, you know, I I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Ashley, what are you more surprised about if that option gets picked up or if like it's May 2nd and we're like, oh, the Browns decided not to do this. I would be more surprised if they decided not to do it for me. Like like Mary Kay said, I think 
for the most part, like they are not ready to give up on Jed Wills yet. Like even if it hasn't been perfect, even if he hasn't made Pro Bowls, and even if there's been some question about like how much effort he uses in any given play, uh, when you see some of these you know, cuts of him going around on social media. He's kind of become, I think, an easy scapegoat in that regard, especially given who he plays alongside of on this offensive line. But I do think just given the fact that he was a first-round pick, like that right there gives him, to me, kind of like a longer leash. And I think they're going to bank on the fact that they have one of the best position coaches in the game, like Mary Kay said, in Bill Callahan. And I think they're hoping that that goes a long way and that it can help him take the next step. And I think it's just kind of a way of, you know, standing pat right now and not obviously making a huge decision to extend him. But I would be shocked if they don't pick up that option. Okay, so let's move on to another headline and let's stay on Jed Wills a little bit here. Um, I put up a story today and it was actually part of our subscriber newsletter ranking the Browns 2020 draft picks. Um, Looking back and Andrew Barry made seven draft picks in 2020. So I'm just going to give you guys the rankings and, and you can tell me what you think. I had Donovan Peoples-Jones number one. That felt like a no-brainer. I had Grant Delpit two, Jedrick Wills three, Harrison Bryant four, Jordan Elliott five, Jacob Phillips six, and Nick Harris seven. So my top four, again, DPJ, Grant Delpit, Jedrick Wills, Harrison Bryant, Mary Kay, did I get that about right? Is that how you would rank them or or would you make a change there um, with with kind of how you'd rank the top of that draft? Yeah. You know what? Um, I I would have to actually give this a a little bit of thought, but uh, you know, I, I think you're, I think you're right on the money with that. I think you're, I think that's about right. Um, I don't know for sure if the team would rank it like this, because I think that they're a little bit higher on, on Jed Wills than, than some of us are, because I think in part, we look at the PFF rankings and we, uh, you know, base some of our uh, evaluation on that. And I think we all expect that those to be a little bit higher so, for him. So let me, so let me interrupt you then. Do you, th- do you think they would rank him above just Delpit or do you think they would maybe even put him above DPJ? Cause I, I had DPJ Delpit. I got to look here. I should know this off the top of my head. I had DPJ Delpit and Wills yeah. one, two, three. Do, would, would they maybe um, put him one? They might put him one. They might put him one. If not, then maybe two behind DPJ and ahead of Grant. But, um, and, you know, I don't know that there would be general consensus in the building on how to rank these guys. I think, you know, if you talk to maybe more of a defensive minded coach, you might get a little bit of a different look. Uh, so I, I think beauty here is in the eye of the beholder. I think you got it right. Um, but, you know, you could tweak it a little bit and still not be wrong. But I, I think for the most part, you got it right here. Ashley, am I right? I just want you to say, yes, I'm right. That's all. And then I think play it right. on an this endless is, loop. <laughs> this is how I would have ranked them. So Dan, you were right. Like I think DPJ to me is the no brainer because of where you got him and what you've been able to get out of him. I do like Grant above Jed. I mean, I think we've seen Grant kind of make a tangible jump. Now I think those two guys could very easily be reversed depending on what happens this season. Um, and then after them, it's almost, I'll use a political term here. After them, it's kind of a bunch of also rands right now. And you can kind of, I think, make an argument for those guys either way. But I actually like how you have them sorted out here. And I would, I would do the exact same thing. Perfect. 
All right, <laughs> let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at some mock drafts that Ashley rounded up. And then I also want to ask about uh, an assistant coach hire that the Browns made. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock. All right, let's look at some mock drafts. So, Ashley, you put up uh, a mock draft roundup. Yeah. And there were a lot of defensive players there. Now, you also did a Browns only mock draft, too, yes. earlier this week. So, start us off. Who did you have the Browns taking? So, I had the familiar answer that we can talk about in a minute with what is coming up across mock drafts, which is the Browns getting Mozzie Smith. However, what I had them doing is trading up with the Texans at I think like 33. I don't have my own mock in front of me. Um, and I forget everything I gave them. I gave them two like two or three later round picks this year. And I threw in like the fifth round for 2023 because PFF's mock draft simulator was being very finicky in terms of what it would accept for a trade. I was like, doing all these different things. And it was like 80% likely to be accepted, 87% likely to be accepted, 90% likely to be accepted. And the simulator kept throwing off my results. But the reason I traded up to get Smith is because I really don't think he's going to be sticking around in the forties for them in the second round. I think he's an athletic freak, you know, the annual freaks list that always comes out. Um, He was number one on that this year. He's an, he's big, He can, I think, rush the passer really well. I think as we get into the combine, he's going to rise. He got into a little bit of legal trouble this year, um, but that's actually going to be wiped from his record, and it seems like it's it's over and done with. Um, He avoided a felony weapons charge, which was what he was originally looking at. So I I just think that guy, if they're going to want to get him, that they're going to have to trade up to get him. And I don't know that they would be willing to do that. It's what I would do because I think they desperately need defensive tackle. And I like Mary Kay's idea of kind of filling receiver in the free agent market. Um, But as I looked at other mock drafts, Mozzie Smith was the popular name. I think people are maybe going to get away with that as he starts rising after the combine next week. But across the board, the multi-round mocks that I found, basically everyone has them taking somebody for the front of this defense, whether it's an edge rusher or an interior D lineman. So Mary Kay, um, with Andrew Barry, I think at times he's really predictable. And then at times it's like, oh, that came out of nowhere. Um, like Jed Wills, right? When they went left tackle at number 10, I think we all assumed when they decided not to listen to you and trade for Trent Williams, we all just knew, okay, they're going to go left tackle at 10. Greg Newsom became a pretty, a pretty, I don't want to say obvious. It wasn't like a gimme, but he seemed like a guy they liked. You know, JOK was kind of getting linked to them too a little bit. And then last year, it was sort of like, oh, they could have had, any number of receivers at 44. Instead, they traded down and took a cornerback as their first pick. At the same time, they did take a kicker early in the fourth round. So I can't figure Andrew Barry out. And it feels to me like when everyone's saying he's going to take a defensive lineman with his first pick, I almost feel like I should just go completely the opposite way and take like a, a left tackle or something. I don't know. Like it just... It feels like Andrew likes to zag sometimes in these situations. We probably shouldn't have been as surprised as we were that he took a cornerback uh, where he did, because we hear them talk about cornerbacks all the time and how you can't have too many good cornerbacks. And uh, so we, you know, we probably should not have been that surprised and we should, you know, we probably shouldn't have almost like ruled that position out just because he had Greg and Denzel, because in today's game, you need a lot of good 
cornerbacks, which is another reason why they have no plans. They are not freaked out. They're not doing, uh, you know, any, any damage control at all about what Greg said about not being open to playing inside. They're happy with their cornerbacks. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that he necessarily zags when you expect him to zig. I don't know if that's the case, but here, here's the thing about him is that, uh, I agree that he, he's not going to be completely 100% predictable because some of it's going to be determined by, of course, what happens in the trade market, what happens in the free agency market. So anything that anybody thinks about the draft right now is all going to change uh, over the next three, four weeks when they make their acquisitions and and they say their farewells. I mean, if they say goodbye to John Johnson 3, they could either be looking at another safety in free agency or having to go out and draft a safety with their top pick. I mean, so you just really don't know. Um, and, you know, if they don't do what we think they should be doing, then they have probably something else in mind. I mean, maybe they uh, have a, a player that they planned on signing in the, you know, the third wave of free agency that they're going to plug in at defensive tackle or, or a trade that they were going to make. So uh, I do think that he's unpredictable, but, you know, I mean, we can, we can see the trends and we know, you know, what they need. It's just a matter of how he's going to go about getting that particular position and when. Ashley, I think that all speaks to something you were talking about earlier, like when, when they extended Denzel talking about the fifth year option, all of that. The one thing we can certainly say about this regime, not just the front office, but the coaching staff too, they, they aren't just winging it. You know, there's, yeah. there have certainly been front offices and coaching staffs, or at least feels like they're just kind of out here winging it. Um, I mean, Mary Kay just sort of laid it all out. They, they're they going to have a plan for what they want to do, even if something crazy happens and they do just take the best player available in the second round. And it maybe isn't a, a great fit as we see it. And I think what I've learned from even just covering one draft with this regime last year is like, it seems to me If there's a guy they really like, they're willing to take him. But if the guys they really like are all gone, then they'd be willing to do something like trade down at this point, given where they are and the assets they have. And I think that's why, you know, point blank last year, they essentially said like, you know, some of these other guys we were looking at were gone. So we traded that pick down and, you know, you essentially turn it into extra later round picks and that helps you get Cade York. So I do think so much of what they do for better and for worse, like we kind of talked about with Anthony Schwartz, right? Where it was a case of them maybe falling in love or becoming enamored with the wrong things. I think there are certain guys they become enamored with that if those guys are gone, they go to what's my plan B and how can I make the most out of that plan B? That's my biggest like takeaway from going through one draft with these guys. Okay. So here's the other headline I wanted to talk about. And that was a coaching hire that the Browns are, are going to make. And that is a new safeties coach. Uh, Ephraim Banda, who comes from the college ranks has been a defensive coordinator um, at the college level, now moving up to the pro level to coach safeties. 41 years old. I mean, Mary Kay, this feels like such a Browns hire. 41 years old, a guy that walked onto his college, uh, like a college football program that was just starting when he was like 25 years old, 26 years old, ha- has just had a passion for getting into coaching and getting into football and saw that as, as his path. 
I, I don't know like what Jim Schwartz necessarily looks for in assistant coaches. This felt like a very Cleveland Browns on brand hire though, for what this front office wants to do is you kind of did just preliminary research into him. D- did you kind of get that feeling too? Yeah. Well, I've actually talked to him on the phone well, there before, you go. which I forgot about um, back when the Browns drafted Sheldrick Redwine, a safety out of Miami, uh, Ephraim Banda had coached him at Miami, was his position coach there. So I've talked to him on the phone. And that particular story was about how, um, you know, that, uh, you know, Sean, he had looked up to Sean Taylor, the, the great, you know, late safety uh, out of Miami. And I talked to Sean's dad, Pete, and they took Sheldrick Redwine under their wing. And I'd have to go back and refresh my memory on the story, but I did end up talking uh, to to Ephraim for that story. And uh, it's funny when you go back and look at some of those things, because I remember like years before, um, you know, years before the Browns hired Todd Munkin, I had interviewed him for a story, you know, seven years before that um, about a receiver. So um, so it is it's kind of weird to look back and, and be like, oh, I've talked to that guy. <laughs> but uh, even just in looking at pictures of him, and reading a little bit about him, he just seems like one of those high energy, passionate guys. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think they needed a few more of those kind of like really young run through a wall or run down the sidelines, you know, with, with your guys kind of a guy. That's the kind of guy that this, um, this coach seems like to me, very passionate, energetic. And I think it'll be good for Jim Schwartz to have some of those high energy guys on his staff because, you know, he's sort of, you know, on, on the, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum a little bit, you know, he's probably not going to be, uh, you know, running around like a, a crazy man over there on the sidelines. And and sometimes you need somebody that can help get the guys fired up like that. So I think he brings some of that. But then the other point about him is the fact that uh, this also means that they need a cornerbacks coach. So I don't know if they're going to promote from within or if they are, you know, move somebody over or if they are going to, you know, go out and bring in somebody else, perhaps that um, that Jim Schwartz has some kind of history with or something. But I mean, even when you look at what John Gannon did in Arizona, he hired a 29 year old defensive coordinator who was his linebackers coach from uh, the Eagles. So there are so many different ways to go about this, and I think it's good to have a mix of young, old, experienced, new, fresh, college. I mean, the college game uh, is is really seeping into the NFL, so it really cannot hurt to have some of those guys on your staff. I I would never want to be a college defensive coordinator. Just never. <laughs> like, it would be miserable, especially the farther west you get. I would just never want to be a, a college. If I had to play Oregon, like, every year, I would never want to be a defensive coordinator in college. Uh, but anyway, Ashley, I... I know this team takes a lot of pride in developing young coaches. Um, you know, they, they like bringing in younger guys like this. Um, you know, I mean, Mary Kay mentioned a 29 year old linebackers coach, the coaching profession is getting younger and younger, but still, you know, to bring in a guy from the college ranks at 41, who's really kind of climbed the ladder quickly, that this is just sort of, it feels like this is what this organization likes to do. It does. And I mean, you've seen them do it, I think, countless times already, even though they've only been in place, like, what, three years, that it, it seems like when they go after these assistants or hires or, or, you know, the younger people in the front offices, that 
it's with the intent of like helping them build their careers. And, you know, I think this year for, you know, a large party, even though there were a handful of guys, like you guys talked about with like Chris Kippen and Jeff Howard, Mary Kay saying, you know, that they're, they were free to look at other opportunities because the Browns wanted to go in a different direction. There's more guys that you've seen earn jobs because of how they've performed here. And I think this organization really prides itself on that from everything we've seen from them. Um, so it's not surprising to me that they went out and got a guy like this, who I think is going to be like hungry and, you know, throughout his career has climbed the ranks, like you said. So I think he knows how to, you know, work hard and to prove himself. Like he, they've seen him do that, that he has a track record of doing that. So I think maybe that's why they're comfortable giving him, you know, a leg up here into the NFL from college. Okay, there we go. A rundown of some stories that we've put up on cleveland.com slash Browns over the last few days. Uh, it's going to just get busier and busier here as we move forward. As I mentioned, we're going to the combine next week. We're going to hear from Kevin. We're going to hear from Andrew. Um, I know Mary Kay is, is going to be working the, uh, I guess not working the phones because you're going to see all these people in person, Mary Kay, I guess just working the, I don't know. She's going to be talking to a lot of people in Indianapolis. That's what I tell the tell truth, you. Dan, you can say it. I'm going to be working the bars. That's what you do. All right. I just, I just, well, I didn't want to say something that somebody was going to take out of context or something. So, uh, but anyway, uh, we'll have a lot of news coming out of Indianapolis. And then of course, leading up to the start of the new league year, which just keeps getting closer and closer as we move along. So that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And because of all that, make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber because a lot of it will get texted out. Uh, you'll want to be a part of that. Just cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page there. Uh, Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to both of you later. Bye.